I'm Kieran Valley. And I'm Kate Valley. And this is Friday Night at Blockbuster, the podcast about our favorite movies from the 2000s. A couple months ago, I had told you that, you know, uh, we, 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 we had been planning ahead a few episodes. I should yeah. say that first. We had a loose, loose schedule. A loose idea of, of the movies we want to talk about when we wanted to talk about them. But I told you a couple months ago that we were probably going to get a trailer for the new Ridley Scott movie, Napoleon. And as soon as we got this trailer, we would have to do an emergency podcast for the movie from the 2000s that I, I think we would have done an episode on eventually, but it was sort of just like, no. This is the movie for that time. This <laughs> is the movie for that week. Whenever we get the Napoleon trailer, we need to talk about this movie. So obviously we should probably start with the Napoleon trailer. And um, just, you've seen it now a couple times. What, what do you what do you think? What, do you, what are your thoughts on, on Ridley Scott's upcoming Napoleon movie? There's, it doesn't happen all the time. But this is one of those trailers where I watched it the first time and I was so excited for the movie. So excited. I know almost nothing about Napoleon. I'm much more Henry VIII, English history, even now a little bit more on Irish history. And Napoleon's just kind of like never made its way into my wheelhouse of research. But I am now so excited to see the movie and to do the research on him and to just get to get in his mind almost so yeah i gotta say i'm kind of the same in terms of like i i would never say that i was like a napoleon fanatic fanatic or or a scholar i've never really read anything about him but then there was just something about the fact that there's gonna be a ridley scott movie about him where i was just like I think I need to read up everything that I can before yeah. this movie comes out. I'm so invested and so interested now that, um, yeah, like I've, I've gone back and I've watched now like other Napoleon movies just to sort of like beef up a little bit in terms of like this history. Um, so I watched Waterloo the other night, which is obviously a movie sort of more or less entirely about the Battle of Waterloo between Napoleon and Wellington. And I was just blown away by the scale of this movie like in most movies in most war movies i should say they do a lot of cheating with like the size of the army so like they often you you get background actors or you, you know you'll go somewhere and you'll get regiments from actual military or things like that um and you know you get shots of them on one side and then you quickly get them to change around and get to the other side and and you'll get shots of them over there as well to sort of be like, yeah, there's two armies. Yeah. Or you kind of cut their faces and like multiply them back. You do do a lot of tricks to make sure that, you know, it feels like there's an army there. I I remember famously uh, Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk had cardboard cutouts of people because he knew (laughs) that they were going to be so far down the beach that he just needed to like fill the frame. He didn't, You'd never know that they were cardboard cutouts. Until somebody said it. (laughs) Until somebody said it. But because they're so far away, they just look like people. So you just need to fill the frame with people. They went a different tact in Waterloo. Okay. (laughs) In Waterloo, they just decided to go get the Russian military. And so they quite literally just have tens of thousands of people on screen all the time. They went much more the authentic route. (laughs) Authentic is one way to to describe Waterloo. (laughs) Apparently, they plowed two fields and like redressed these fields to make it look period accurate to how the i think it was belgium how the the belgian uh countryside looked like on the date of the war because because it's quite a famous battle like we have lots of accounts of of everything they rebuilt all of the farmhouses that dotted the countryside they apparently planted five thousand trees to make that look more authentic like they really went above and beyond like now the the movie itself is like a little rickety and it's not great but the battle scenes that you know i think the movie's like two and a bit hours the battle scenes are probably an hour and a half that was like wow just awesome wow so Ridley Scott's Napoleon has like quite a bit to live up to for me. And like, he is a bit hit or miss. He doesn't, he doesn't really, he's obviously a great director and he's made like game changing movies. I find that he doesn't elevate 
scripts all that well. So like, have you ever heard that like that saying of you can't make a bad or you can't make a good movie from a bad script? Yeah. But you can make a bad movie from a good one. I find that like people like Scorsese or Spielberg or, you know, certain in that echelon of directors, they can at least elevate a mediocre script into like a good or very good movie. I find that Ridley Scott can't do that at all. Like, if he gets a good script, it's going to be a really good movie. And if he gets a bad script, it's going to be a bad movie. Well, I wonder, though, like, i kind of sitting here thinking about it now. He did Gladiator, yeah. right? And we loved Gladiator. Yeah. So I wonder if this is going to be just, like, a different version of Gladiator, maybe. Because, like, there was okay one, with it. There's one scene in the trailer where uh, Joaquin Phoenix is in the middle of... Uh, his army, I guess, or a regiment. Yeah. And they're all in circles around him. And I was kind of like, well, that reminds me of Gladiator. Visually, visually there's some links there. <laughs> so I think if he does an updated newer version of Gladiator, I'm okay with it. Well, he's so. already doing that. He's doing it with Gladiator too. <laughs> oh, so. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting both. I, I think, see, he, he made those two movies, um, I guess they're two years now at this point, The, the Last Duel and then House of Gucci. Yes. And I thought both of them were pretty fantastic. So, like, I don't have that much trepidation about a new Ridley Scott movie. I have actually, like, a lot of excitement about it. But there is just that thing in the back of my head of, like, we've been here before. You've been really excited for a Ridley Scott movie before. And then you've gone to see it and be like, whoa, that is a turkey. Like, <laughs> so there is still that voice in my head of, like, you know he's capable of this. Like, he could fuck all this right up. Hopefully he proves you wrong and... It's fantastic. It's coming out, what, Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving time. So, so. My, my metaphor of a turkey is actually yeah. quite apt there. But <laughs> I think the from, from the trailer alone, just to sort of go back to that and look at that, I think there's obviously a scale here that he does capture. Like there are many shots of Napoleon in battle with, you know, huge groups of men and things like that. And so like I don't imagine that Ridley Scott had tens of thousands of men that he didn't go get the Russian that, army <laughs> that the Waterloo movie had yeah but like it, it does look impressive visually it looks impressive which is always something that you can say about a Ridley Scott movie they always look fantastic obviously Joaquin Phoenix I think is phenomenal he's one of my favorite actors he just sort of almost never really puts a foot wrong um just based on the trailer alone which is obviously like highlights yeah it does look like he is putting in a pretty good yeah. shift here. So like, I think as we get more and more movies, I get more and more depressed that he won the Oscar for Joker. But like, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do at this point? So I kind of just hope for the movie and the trailer, I think gives a bit of a glimpse of it, that it's not just Napoleon at war. Like I want oh, a well-rounded yeah. yeah, 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 picture yeah, yeah. of him. Well, like, right? so. he, he spent a lot of years at war, but I, I hear you, like, if that's all the movie is, it's going to be pretty boring. Yeah. So, like, there's a lot of, like, political maneuvering, and I really hope that that's the angle that they take. Yeah. Where it's sort of like, because he, he genuinely more or less came from nothing, and then very quickly became the emperor of France. So, like, how did he do that? You know what I mean? And so that's the story I would personally rather yeah. see than just him battle in battle. After battle after have battle. the battle as like yeah. the fun side pieces. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. My only gripe with okay. the trailer is who the hell thought it was a good idea to put in a modern day rock song? Oh, see, I didn't mind the music. Oh, I thought as soon as that like note hit, I was like, what is going on? Like, who fucking decided this was a good idea you know it, it's a radiohead remake so like or, or um remix. remix so like that's kind of cool but i sort of like guys this does not fit at all <laughs> i like i understand that they're trying to sell napoleon to maybe a younger crowd crowd yeah to get some hype going but i was just like jesus christ this is not good See, I, I hate every second of this i guess i didn't pick up on the song itself or like the lyrics or anything like that. It didn't resonate with me. I liked the tone that it had. I found that it got kind of quiet and a bit softer when you got the few snippets of him and the one of the women that he's I think, with. I think, I think the first so. woman that he meets is Josephine, um, which is his first wife. But then I think Vanessa Kirby shows up 
in the second half of the trailer and she's the Austrian wife. He's his she's his second wife. Yeah. I think. I think. So I just thought I thought the music fit with the scenes that they were trying to get. Like Fair enough. So. I just think like you just weren't a fan yeah i'm just not a fan not a fan i don't really i think it's quite hard to do modern music with like period piece dramas like that like what it's trying to convey there is a movie that we may do eventually that that does it perfectly in my in my mind it finds that perfect balance but for for a trailer i understand i get it why you would try it for me it was just sort of like I'm already sold. I'm already going to watch this movie. You know, I was looking forward to it before the trailer dropped. Just when that came in, I was sort of like, oh, if I had any trepidation at all, this might have, you know, I wonder taken if it, me out a little bit. I wonder if in the movie they'll do modern songs. The, no, I, the... I, I, I doubt it. And okay. I seriously, if, if, if that happens, like I'm turning it off. Oh, okay. I'm turning it off. Cause like you can't, there's, you can't do that. You can't, not for, not for a movie that wants to be serious that's which fair. which i think this movie wants is, to be is going to yeah. be and wants to be like if you were a comedy then sure you might be able to get away with it but not for the tone that i think napoleon and ridley scott are trying to pull off are we going to now, talk about the other trailer yes yeah, so like week? originally we were just going to talk about <laughs> napoleon and then seamlessly move into the movie that we're going to talk about this week and then you were like i really want to talk about this other trailer and i was sort of like okay I have one note. I thought we were going to talk about this trailer first no, and then no, go into no, Napoleon no. trailer, no, we can't do but that. we that's can't. okay. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I quite literally have one note on this trailer and it's not really even about the trailer, but if you introduce what's the movie, what's the, what's so the trailer So the other you want trailer that we saw this week that's just been dropped is the Wonka trailer yeah. with Timothy Chalamet. Chalamet. Yeah. And... This is the first I we just watched it in its entirety. Is that before the first this. time you'd seen it? Yeah, I'd seen okay. like little snips and things like that. But I've, been, I've been going to the movies a lot in the last couple of weeks, so I've seen it three or four times. times. I'm so excited about it. I think it's going to be great. But Kieran, I think, is on the other side of the other end of the spectrum. Well, you very quickly were like, "That's our Christmas movie," yes, and I was like, "No, it is not. Like, it is definitely not the Christmas movie." Um, I think I might end up losing that battle. I think so. I so I'm intrigued by it because it's Paul King who directed the first two Paddington movies. Yes. So that makes me intrigued about it. Now, do I think we need a Willy Wonka origin story, which I may add is like hints of a traumatic origin story? Yeah, it doesn't seem like it was all pleasant. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the whole thing is that his mom is dead and he's making chocolate for his mom. It's like, I don't think we need this at all, but you know, we're we're getting it. So um I think I think that's that's the thing. That's your note? That's, that's your m- thing? Well no no that's not oh. that's not my big note. That's not my big note. That's we're now just talking about the trailer. Okay. I think Tim Timothy Chalamet for me is kind of hit or miss. Like I really liked him in the Dune uh, movie and the second one looks incredible. Um, you know, there are other movies that he's made where I'm sort of just like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, you know, he's supposed to be this next great actor, but like, you know, he did things like Little Women. I thought he was fantastic in Little yeah. Women. There's just other things where I'm sort of like, I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't get it. But my big note, okay, for Wonka, is the tagline of the movie. The tagline that'll be on the posters oh. and is at the end of the trailer and everything like that is come discover how Willie became Wonka, which I think might be the dumbest tagline I've ever heard in my life because Wonka is his last name. So the answer to that question is he was born like he doesn't take on the name Wonka when he starts making chocolate. You know what I mean? Like it's not like a wrestler where, you know, he starts off as... You don't think he was born Willie something? You don't, I don't think so. Maybe we'll find that out in oh, the Jesus origin story. Christ. If we find out that Wonka is his, like, stage name, th- that'll make it worse. But, like, would you walk out of the theater? I'm, I don't know. I've never walked out of a movie before. But, like, I would certainly sort of tune out. But I just think, like, that might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard because it actually makes no sense. I just, I just don't, whoever thought of that one, I was just like, I don't get it. I don't, that's like a, that's a, you know, stage one brainstorm and it's sort of like, okay, that's a good jumping off point, but you don't put that on the poster. Do you think they forgot that that was the tagline and put it on? (laughs) I have no idea. I have no idea. But yeah, how Willie became Wonka, I'm just like, good God, guys, like, 
we need to do better. We need to do better than this. I'm just interested to see. I've never seen the original Willy Wonka. Oh, you've I'm, only seen the Tim Burton one? I've only seen the Tim oh, Burton no, you one. Oh, no, you gotta go see the, the so Billy I'm Wilder one. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry, not Billy, is Billy Wilder? No. Gene Wilder. Sorry, Gene Wilder. <laughs> Billy Wilder's the director. Uh, yeah, you see the Gene. It's like the Gene Wilder one is. The Tim Burton one took all the like psychotic elements yeah. of the Gene Wilder one and just like amplified those and like cut out all of the like heartwarming bits. And so all you're left with is this like crazy really man. strange, crazy guy. <laughs> Whereas the Gene Wilder one, like, he's definitely crazy, but, you know, there's a lot of other things going on at the same time. Okay. So, yeah, it's really, it's a fun movie. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, I'm interested to see how Timothy Chalamet, though, does in comparison to, you know, previous Willies. We won't say Wonka, because maybe that wasn't his last name. I'm, I'm skeptical. We can move on now to uh, the movie that we're here to talk about, which, you know, this perfect segue... Yes. Interrupted a little bit by Willy and maybe Wonka, maybe not Wonka, who knows. But we are, of course, going back to April 23rd, 2004, to talk about the movie Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, the longest movie title that we've probably yeah. discussed on this podcast. I don't think I ever knew that there was a second part to the title. Well, I think it's like straight from the book. They're all based oh, okay. on books. And so I think they're all Master and Commander, colon, Something. something else okay. and like that's how he differentiates the books i think never read any of them actually but it's a peter weir movie starring russell crowe paul bettany um, and a ton of other people lots of other people show up in this <laughs> lots of other people this was your first time watching it yeah what did you think how did you find it i enjoyed it um i enjoyed that it was all set on the ship there wasn't any kind of side stories on it i enjoyed as much as i am a romance person that there was no romance there was no like pining for women kind of or like well, there's definitely like, pining for women time, but, there's, pining. but there's no women <laughs> there's to no be pined after <laughs> yeah yeah um i enjoyed i would argue maybe like the little twist at the end of the movie i enjoyed that and just the camaraderie Yep. Amongst the men? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or at least for most, uh, among most of the men? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we might um, get to that part. Yeah. But no, I enjoyed it, so. Did it scratch that sort of like historical itch that you sometimes have? Like you you quite like historically set stories, not, not even just movies, like, you know, historically set TV, historically set novels, things like that. This is obviously fiction, but it is certainly based on real events and real people if they're not depicted in this? Not really. And part of it's just because I'm not a huge naval person. So in my review, and I kind of said it before we started, a lot of the terminology that they end up using in the movie went over my head. I hear you. Okay. You, <laughs> so like, sorry, so yeah, it was hard. Yeah, yeah. It was hard for me then to really connect with the people or want to have that drive to research more because I was like, Oh, I feel like I'm already three steps behind the movie. But, but did that actively, <laughs> so it, it sounds like it did, but did it actively stop you from enjoying the movie? Cause like what I'll say is I've seen this movie numerous times and like, I don't understand 50% of what they're saying, <laughs> but like it never stops me from enjoying because it's sort of like, it's just, it's just naval jargon. It's just there so that you understand that they know what they're speaking about. But, like, it doesn't really matter if you understand all of the terminology. I think, anyways. I still enjoyed it, so it didn't stop me from enjoying it. It probably stopped me from loving the movie. Okay. Or having maybe the desire to have it as a movie that I rewatch once a year or something. But maybe it's a movie that... In a couple months time, if somebody else is like, oh, I'm going to watch it again. Or if I'm scrolling and I find it on TV or something, maybe I put it on again. But yeah, the drive to kind of rewatch it on my own isn't there because I was a little lost. <laughs> we, we've talked about him before. I think you need to go watch the History Buffs video on this movie. Okay. Because like, again, like you don't necessarily understand or know the history around naval warfare at this time. But he like walks you through how 
much work the this movie does to sort of be like really accurately okay. portray the history of it. Um, I think they they went to great pains to sort of be like, no, we need to make this correct. I enjoy history movies that do that or history shows that do that, that bring in the experts to make sure, because although I'm not a naval buff, there are probably other people who are, who would pick up on oh, slight mistakes absolutely. or, yeah. oh, well, that person or that character wouldn't do that because he's not a part of that team or group or whatever and stuff. So I enjoy when history things are done properly, I guess. A little, a little digression here, a little okay. aside. We'll, we'll talk about this movie a little bit more next week, but I, I just saw Oppenheimer the other night. And when I came home and I was, you know, reading about other people's opinions and reviews and things like that, um, just something that you, you said there, somebody brought up the fact that there's lots of scenes where there's an American flag flying and there's yes. 50 stars yes, I've on the saw, flag. It's blown up on my yeah, feed. At a time when there wasn't 50 states. Yes. And you're sort of like, how did that get past everyone? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I could understand some prop guy being like, oh, we need an American flag. I'll just go out to the shop and get an American flag. But like how that got past everybody else to make it into the movie. And now I do wonder if Nolan is sitting at home being like, God damn it. Like, yeah. <laughs> Christ, how did that happen? I trusted this person yeah. for that or something. Yeah. yeah. But but that's not happening with <laughs> that's not happening with Master Commander. I think they went to great lengths to to accurately portray sort of everything they, they possibly could. And um I think this is like held up as one of the better historically accurate movies even though all the characters in the movie are like purely fictional yeah well i think you talked about it this is like an underrated movie for you oh my god it's such an underrated movie. <laughs> so why like why is it rated so highly for you what do others not see or well we, we'll get into all the reasons oh, why okay. i love it because quite literally all the points i want to talk about <laughs> are reasons I, why i just think like when it came out so it's, it's based on they're obviously bestseller books i think they're kind of like airport books if i'm not totally mistaken um but like very popular book series or whatever the movie came out um like critics loved it and like sang its praises it got nominated for a ton of awards but i don't think it won any of them and it didn't it didn't make any of its money back which is why we've never had another one um like you've already brought up the ending and the ending is always like even though you end on such a great sort of note and cliffhanger. Yeah. I'm always sort of a little bit like, oh God, like we should have had like five more of these movies, but because it didn't make its money back, they just, it's too expensive. It's, it's way too expensive to make these types of movies. But yeah, for, for me, the underseen, underappreciated part comes from the fact that like, this is one of the movies that I have recommended to a lot of people over the years and quite literally nobody has come back and been like, that was bad. Okay. Everybody sort of has come back being like, fuck, that was, you know, what an adventure. Like, what a, we don't make movies like that anymore. And it's so, like, that's the part where it's sort of like, oh, like, if they had seen this earlier, they would have loved it earlier. Just nobody did see it. Yeah. And so therefore, that's the underseen, underappreciated. But for me, it's like, this is very close to a perfect movie. Like, okay. I love this movie. I think it all starts... With the opening scene, because for me, this is just one hell of a way to start your movie. Like, we sort of get the layout of the boat. We get a few of the the relationships with the men on board. And then we're immediately thrust into an action scene. Yeah. But we're thrust into an action scene that our heroes lose, more or less. Um, they obviously get away. Or also I was going to say, yeah, they, they don't win. They don't win. <laughs> they don't win the engagement. That's for sure. But I think it it just sets up, it not only sets up our sort of protagonist boat and our heroes, but it sets up our our antagonist boat really, really well in terms of like, oh, they're faster, they're stronger, they have more guns, and they might be better. Yeah. So like, these guys are going up against uh, a big deal here. And like, this is going to be tough. This is going to be tough. But like, they get away and like, they get away on luck. It's pure luck that they get away the first time around. And I just like... You know, now we're off to the races. Now, here we go. The first time they get away, they go into the fog, right? Yeah, so it's like so pure luck. The, luck and like good commanding of a ship, I would say. Sure, sure. Right? But like if the fog wasn't there, they were uh, fucked. Yeah. Like they would have died if if they, <laughs> the fog was not there. But that's what like, so the first attack 
they more or less get away on luck. The second attack, he uses his own intelligence, which is Russell Crowe's, the, the captain of the ship, um, Jack Aubrey, I think his name is. Yeah. He uses his own intelligence to trick the French into, you know, slipping away. Because again, he knows, like, we can't really fight them in a one-on-one fair fight. Like, that's not going to go. And then it's the third time around that, again, they kind of trick them, but then they, you know, it's it's just a slugfest. Yeah. And we'll get to that ending. But, like, I just love that, you know, we get to see all sorts of facets of this character to sort of be like, he's going to use whatever he can whenever he can to just, you know, he I think he understands that, like, the aim is to quite literally survive another day. If we survive another day, we will have another chance to, you know, take this thing down. Well, I think like we're speaking on russell crowe and his character and stuff like that you get the idea pretty quickly and it's reinforced a lot through the movie that he just knows the ship yeah right he because uh one scene you see his initials and i think a date or something scratched in and so you get that he's been there probably since he was nine 10 like but, whatever the earliest stage is yeah i think i think so the implication is because um like i i wonder if you have questions about this or not i, I don't necessarily have the answers <laughs> okay. i can tell you right now but there are a lot of young men on the ship yeah as kind of as officers like yeah. they're not they're not very high ranking but they certainly command the other men the sailors underneath them right and i think the implication is that russell crowe's character started his naval career on this ship as one of those young men has maybe gone off and been on other ships under other captains, but has now come back to this ship as this captain. Yeah. And you know, like you're saying, he quite literally two or three scenes in this movie talks about the fact that he knows exactly what this ship is capable of doing because he just knows the ship in inside and out. Yeah. Speaking on kind of the young officers, I think I'm correct in saying, because um, some of them are referred to as Lord whatever. Yeah. So in English history, usually it was like the firstborn son gets to keep the lordship and um, the house and the land and things like that. It's usually like the second son who needs to go off and kind of make, it, make a name yeah. for himself. Yeah. So I would say a lot of these young kids are second-born second sons. sons. Yeah, second sons. <laughs> I just think it's like, it's not something that you see in a lot of movies and like, there, we've had enough sort of like naval history movies to sort of draw enough from and sort of be like, you don't see the no. kids that often. But again, like this was a thing that would happen. Like they would start their naval careers at 15, 16 years old as these midshipmen. And, you know, they'd, they'd be in command of a gun team or something like that. You know what I mean? Like they'd be in command of 10 guys on yeah. the ship. That's who they would be in charge of. And they, they would just work their way up the system. Um, there was obviously, there was no way that a regular sailor would work his way up to being a, a captain because that was, those doors were closed. But for these guys, it was very much like, yeah, come learn the trade, you know, learn under these guys who have been doing it for years and years and years. And then if you are good enough, you will eventually be given your own ship somewhere down the road. And it's like, yeah, like this yeah. movie, this movie has it all. And like, it's, it's the kids, I think, where you a lot of your sympathy and empathy comes from because you are sort of like well the other ones are men like they're experienced with whatever comes up they know what's going on but some of these kids are like how old are you actually like the little kid that loses his arm in the first battle in like, the first battle yeah, yeah. was heartbreaking yeah <laughs> yeah but he's so tenacious like he actually so it's like it's quite interesting that he's the one who who suffers the the injury in the first battle because the more than we get to see from him throughout the movie you're sort of like oh he is actually destined to be a, a pretty good captain yeah. like he's got it yeah whatever qualities you you need whereas like the other young men you're sort of like nah these these guys they're not gonna make it like, they're they're gonna get to a point and yeah. then peter out they're or like plat- they're gonna plateau somewhere <laughs> yeah. like yeah but this this young guy, uh, Blakeney, I think his name is. Yeah. Um, you're sort of like, oh, fuck, he's gone. I'd follow him in battle. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you brought up Russell Crowe. Is this the last time that Russell Crowe cared? Because I think he really cares in this movie. Yeah, he is putting in 
one hell of a performance. What did he do? I feel like we've talked about his... So this is a couple years after Gladiator. Yeah. Um, but what did he do, like, after this? Well, after this, it gets... It gets iffy. It gets dodgy? It gets iffy really quickly. Um, just looking looking things up here. Like, I know I'm a defender of the, the Robin Hood movie that he, he did make with Ridley Scott. Um, but, you know, he takes on things like Jor-El in the the Man of Steel movies. He shows up in a couple Marvel movies. You know, American Gangster is pretty good. 310 to Yuma is pretty good. But then, like, you know, he makes the Noah movie. Um, Les Mis. Yeah, like, it's just, it's, it's, it gets really hit or miss really quickly. That's fair. And the Mummy. There's a lot of things where it's sort of like, I think the paycheck was just really nice. So like, how could you say no? But but here, I think he is genuinely trying to be. I think I think he would have enjoyed five more. Yeah. Jack Aubrey movies. You know what I mean? Like, I think he loves the character, and I think you can see that. Yeah, no, I thought he. It was great to see him in kind of another leader role, another commanding role, because I buy it from him. Yeah. That yeah. like, if he had a group of men, they would listen. Yeah. They would like. All the men at one point, and I think it's in the third battle, he wants all of them to dress in regular clothes and like, no, sir. And they all kind of like hesitate for a minute. And then they're like, nope, you're saying that? Okay, let's. Well, he, he gets that speech, <laughs> which like every war movie has the speech. And some of them are good. Some of them are not very good. I find his to be like understated in terms of like, you know, he's not making like, I think many times where they fall down is like the actor looks at that speech as a like this is going to be on my oscar reel mm-hmm. when when they announce my name as the oscar winner this is the clip they're going to play whereas i think because he already had one he understands that like it's not really going to happen and so for his speech it's like it's pretty good about you know like england's under attack and this boat is england and you know this is our home and all this sort of stuff but he's not like swinging for the fences on it yeah in the same way that a lot of other actors probably would have and yeah, I, I just think like that's there's like little scenes like that where it's sort of like, oh, I think he really, really was looking forward to this being a franchise of movies and that he would just would have played this guy again and again. And it's even some of like his quiet scenes. So like, yeah, he got the big speeches and stuff. But like when him and um, Bettany are just like oh, yeah. playing oh, their yeah. musical instruments yeah, and just like chatting as two friends and stuff, you're kind of just like, yeah. This might come up a bit earlier than than I actually do remember, but I don't necessarily know if you find out that they're kind of lifelong buddies until like pretty far into the movie. But before that moment, you see all these scenes that they have together where you're sort of like, oh, like they know each other. There's like, a real friendship yeah. here. Like, you know, they, they play music together. They're sitting beside each other for dinners and things like that. And you sort of buy the fact that like these guys are probably really great friends. And then you find out that they are you know, lifelong friends. Yeah. And you're sort of like, oh, that makes total sense. Yeah, I think at the start, I kind of was like, oh, they've probably been on this ship. And I think they say at the beginning, they'd been selling, sailing, sorry, for seven weeks. Yeah. And like, maybe they'd been on other ships together. So you kind of, like we said, you get the idea that at the end of the movie, you understand the impact and yeah. the lifelongness yeah. of their friendship. Yeah. So Yeah. I think, though, that he also gets, like you were saying there, but the leadership aspect, like there are, a few scenes in this where he sort of lays out what leadership means on a ship at this time in history sort of necessitated. And I think he just like nails it. Like, yeah, we can maybe quibble about the whole thing of like, you know, officers and enlisted men and shouldn't be whatever. But I think he, he believes in what he's saying. And like, that's the point of the whole leadership thing is like you, when you're in, a battle situation or a war situation like this, you just want your commander to just be like, this is the plan. Yeah. We're not going to waffle. I'm not going to like hum and haw over things. And like, you know, you want decisiveness. You want that sort of definitive, like this is the way to go. And, you know, we find out from, from Jack Aubrey that, you know, his instincts are pretty good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like you, you can find, you, you see, or I should say, you see why, He's so highly revered amongst the men on the ship. Yeah. Especially when things are going wrong. Like, they never really lose faith in him. No. No, there's one part, not so much faith in him, but maybe 
faith in the mission. I think faith in the mission is a little different. Yeah. 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 So they lose faith in the mission maybe once or twice. <laughs> I think, but I think that's, but, that's because we see that the ship they're going up against is just better. Like it's yeah. just a better ship. And so after two engagements, the second one doesn't really ever count. They never really, it's never really a fight. They sort of slip away because they, but I they do that, the decoy. Yeah, that was so good. Oh, it's incredible. But like, then after like that's why i don't want to say like two battles or whatever but like yeah. after two engagements i think you would be a little demoralized to be like these this friendship is just better and yeah. it's like what are we really doing here but they never truly lose faith with him um and i think that that's why you sort of buy like there there are some moments where this doesn't go well for them no but but you understand why they keep coming back and being like no okay that that wasn't great but we're going to keep going here because, you know, Jack's in command. Yeah. So thinking about it, what was the original mission? Was to find the ship? I think the original mission was to, like, fight the ship, but, like, push it away. So I think the the whole thing was that it's, they're, like, And fighting. I also never really understood where they were set. So they're set ar around South America. Okay. And, like, into the Pacific Ocean. Like, that's the whole far side of the world, right? Yeah. So I think the original mission was... Because both the French and the English at this time were fighting for command of the Atlantic Ocean to have trade with North America, right? Yeah. So I think the original mission was for, um, I can't remember the names of the ships. I should have written them down. But um, Ac Akron? The, Ac uh, the Acheron is the French Acheron. one. And I think it's the Surprise is is the English one, Jack yes. Aubrey's. I think yeah, because we have Surprise on our side. Right, right. I think is so I think the, theirs is the surprise. So I think their their original mission was just to push the Acheron as far south as possible to get it away and out of like the North Atlantic waters. Mm -hmm. But then his kind of ego does get in the way a little bit, and his obsession with bringing the ship down, especially because the Acheron does more or less defeat him twice in a row. Think he has a hard time accepting that, and so they do end up following him around Cape Horn, which is the bottom of South America and like the Galapagos are way out in the Pacific. Right. Yeah. So he does end up following him like way past where he should have been. Um, but that's like, again, the movie yeah. would be, the movie would be pretty short if they stopped at Brazil, <laughs> because I think the movie starts more or less in Brazil. Yeah, Brazil. So yeah, like there's some line early in the movie about going up the Amazon to find a new a new mast, right? Yes. So I think they do more or less start the movie and they're already in the South Atlantic. So, yeah. But like yeah, they don't really they don't really hold your hand too much, I guess. No. In this movie, like you're saying with some of the terminology, like they don't really stop to sort of be like this is what this means. Which like is good and bad. Um I don't know if I would have enjoyed it more if they had done that. So at the end of the movie, I did kind of have to look up and be like, what were the different groups that would sail a ship and stuff and kind of organize my thoughts a little bit more and stuff. So there, I've just, I've seen a few now. And, and like I was saying, like the, the history buff guy has walked through a couple movies where it's sort of like, okay, I'm, I am actually starting to learn and pick up on some of these things. And it's like, there are Marines on the ship yeah, who like aren't sailors their whole function more or less is to make sure there's not a mutiny because okay. they're the only ones with guns. And so if anyone did want to turn on Jack, not that they do in this movie, but like they're there to serve him. Kind of protect him and serve him. Okay. Purely to make sure that there's no mutiny because have you ever heard of the mutiny on the bounty? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that one is quite a famous story. Uh, and like they've made numerous movies on that, but on that one, he didn't have any, marines oh okay. and so when the mutiny did happen he had nobody to protect him and like that's why they overthrew the ship so easily and so quickly but yeah like in here like they're always around but like they, they never actually do anything because their job is quite literally just to protect jack in case anything does happen um and then obviously once once they get into battle they can they can fight but, yeah um but yeah like they, they i just love the sort of like you know, he's a carpenter's mate and he's, you know, you know, working over here in the kitchen and things like that. But like, they're all sailors and then they all have to be soldiers yeah. at the end of the movie as well. You know what I mean? Like the, the number of uh, double and triple duty that these guys have to perform to, to make sure that this ship is functioning is like 
God, this life is hard. Yeah, I think I enjoyed the surgeon assistant. I think oh, is yeah, what is, yeah, yeah. or the doctor's assistant, whatever he, he, whoever he was. I enjoyed him because when Paul Bettany's character gets injured, yeah, you could see him being like, "Oh shit, I now have to do this." Because well, like the, the funny, he would never have had to. No, exactly, and like he has like no actual medical experience or no. anything like that. But the reason that he's probably the uh, the doctor's assistant is because he's probably the only other person on the boat besides the captain who could read. Yeah, like that's probably the whole reason that he's been given this job. Uh, is because he can read a book and it's sort of like god damn it like <laughs> this 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 movie doesn't necessarily paint a flattering picture no. of of life on these ships no but it's certainly an interesting one so no and so then yeah to continue on that like when then paul's character does surgery on himself yeah. you're just like yeah well done paul i, th- I think you would <laughs> if you were the doctor you'd be like yeah there's no fucking way i'm letting him touch I'm, me <laughs> i'm letting anybody else touch me in this case like if i die i die but i'm gonna die yeah. under my own hands i just love paul bettany i, I was I, also waiting for you I to love, sing his praises because I, I know love you love him i just think he's so fantastic as like that secondary character like that's yeah. that's his sweet spot if you just get him as like the best friend the sidekick the whatever like just let him do his own thing, but he doesn't need to lead the movie. He doesn't need to be our hero. Sort of like, God damn it. That's he's just perfect. For that. That is absolutely perfect for that role. He gets like great scenes with, with Crow, like the whole weevil scene. Yes. I just, every single time I crack up, I'm just like, God damn it. Like I'll, I'll never ever be in a situation where I'll be able to reference that perfectly to anybody else. But like, I wish one day you I want, wish. you want it to happen. One day I would like to be able to point to two weevils and ask somebody which one they'd like to pick. And hopefully they pick the bigger one so that I can say you always choose the lesser of two weevils. But that's a, that's a dream that will never happen. <laughs> I don't even think we have weevils anymore. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I just think like he's just, he's perfect in, in this type of role. He's absolutely perfect. Yeah. He was great. I liked his character as a whole. I would say as a doctor, you probably don't do a lot of the fighting. Like, I would say you probably kind of stay. I think you would, they would want you to stay. Kind of. Back. Back and, and hidden yeah, and yeah, protected or yeah, whatever, right? Absolutely. Because, like, you lose a doctor on your ship, you're done. You're finished. Um, But, like, he does get a little bit of a fight scene. Um, But I also just loved that but, he but just wanted to see the animals. Who Who does he follow into that fight scene? Does He follows the little kid, doesn't he? He follows Blakeney. <laughs> Because he recognizes this kid's got it. And so, like like I was saying, Blakeney, of all... So we the... need a Master and Commander yeah. 2 that follows Blakely as the captain. Yeah, yeah, That's it now. Yeah. But, yeah, like, no, like, you're, like, I just interrupted you. But yeah, as you were saying, like, yeah, he's, he's like, a, a naturopath or whatever. Yeah, they, a naturalist. A naturalist. That's you know, not a naturopath. <laughs> a naturalist. And, yeah, like, when they end up in the Galapagos Islands, he's, like, this well, is absolute life. heaven. So, Yeah. I just, there's, there's so many, there's so many just like little scenes. I don't even know how you talk about them all. There's so many little <laughs> scenes where you're just like, oh, it's, it's really, really well done. I think what, what I'm ultimately getting at here though, with, with this movie and, and the fact that I'm praising all these little things that are going on is Peter Weir, the director of the movie is just, he's an absolute master. And like this movie, nobody knows his name. Yeah. I was about to say, what else has he done? Cause. Well. <laughs> So you've certainly seen I've probably Dead, seen Dead Poet Society. Yes, I have. You've seen the Truman Show. I have not seen Truman. Oh, you've not seen Truman, but you no, know of Truman. I know of you Truman. You know of Truman. Yeah. So obviously then this, like, he he's made a lot of movies in the 80s. But I talked about, um, it must have been one of the Indiana Jones podcasts where I, I said, or I talked about the movie Witness, mm-hmm. where Harrison Ford plays a cop who has to go into the Amish community to protect the little boy. Yeah. That was a Peter Weir movie. Um, he... Got his start or like he really made a name for himself during the Australian New Wave, which is like movies in the 60s and 70s. And he made this really interesting movie that I think you actually might dig, but also might be like it's super boring. I don't really know how you'd feel about it, but it's called uh, The Picnic at Hanging Rock. And it's about a group. I think it's based on a true story. Um, And it's about a group of like schoolgirls who go off to um, this part of Australia, I think called Hanging Rock, and um, they, like, disappeared. 
and oh. nobody really knows what happened to them. And like, I don't think their bodies were ever discovered. And he made this movie as in, as if it's like a horror movie, but you never really see anything horrific. It's oh. more just like kind of gets under your skin a little bit because he makes the whole atmosphere is like a little creepy. Okay. But it's not like a ghost story or like nothing demonic happens or I'm not even sure if you see what happens to the young girls. They kind of just like wander off and then never come back. Okay. Um, and it's just like really effective because he never shows you an answer. You can then think of 50. Yeah. And, and that's where he knows like, oh, they're going to do this. So I'm just going to let them go wild. Yeah. And it's like really, really effective. And I, I remember watching it and sort of being like, Okay, where's all this going? And then by the end of the movie, be like, that was terrifying. Like, <laughs> what the fuck happened? And so, like, he just, he he makes fucking great movies. But, like, he's not yeah Scorsese. So, no. like, you know what I mean? Like, he, I don't, like, I would say he's made great movies and he is a great filmmaker. But I think because he doesn't have his own sort of, like, unique trademark or style. Yeah, or, his, like, niche thing. Yeah, like. You kind of sort of like you you could watch Truman Show and then watch this and not know it's the same guy, which I think is the mark of a pretty good filmmaker. Yeah. So yeah, Peter Weir. If nothing else today, go watch some Peter Weir movies. Go watch Truman no, Show. I think you no know his Show. name. Yeah, I think you I think you'd be interested in Truman Show because you kind of do like the sort of reality TV stuff. Yeah, it's been on the list of watching, and after you had done the podcast with yeah Dean 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 friend um, of the pod. <laughs> I meant to kind of go watch it and then just life happened and didn't get around to it. But the picnic at Hanging Rock one sounds. It's pretty weird. It sounds intriguing. It's pretty weird. So. It, is, it is from before the 1990s. I, I was going to say it's, it's 1975. I have it yeah, up here on my yeah, screen so, to remind yeah. me later. So. But again, like they've, I, I say they, I mean like sort of Hollywood has like remade that. Like he made it a movie. I think they've made like two or three miniseries out of the same event. Oh, okay. Um, so like you can kind of pick it up in whatever format form. you really want to watch it in. I think the two-hour movie is the superior format for <laughs> most you stories. Do. But yeah, like um, yeah, Peter Weir. He's just like he's he's one of those like if you know you know filmmakers, and like the more you sort of get into film history, and the more you start start to explore. Like film movements, like I was saying, like the Australian New Wave was kind of a, an interesting thing because they all sort of sprang from the French one. But like, obviously, Australia has their own unique history in terms of, you know, who has settled there yeah. and the relationship with the Aboriginal people that were already there and things like that. And so, you know, they all find their sort of own ways to tell these pretty, pretty interesting stories. Should we get to the battle scenes? Yeah, let's the, do the, it. The big battle scene anyways at the end. The big one. So, are you like a battle scene person? Do they like excite you in any way? Like, I don't. I've, I'm genuinely curious because I I don't know if we've ever talked about this. I don't think we have. It's hit and miss. Okay. It's hit and miss. This. So what 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 do you like in a battle scene, and what do you not like in a battle scene? I need it to be set up well. So I need to okay. know who's on which side. Kind of generally, maybe what the some stakes, some stakes, the favorable outcome, things yeah. like that. I need to be invested in the battle you you want to know how it's setting up so that when things are going right or wrong during the battle you can immediately be like oh something's going right or wrong yeah okay exactly so this one is kind of maybe like 50 50 for me okay i knew what the stakes were it's so set that up, it's set up pretty good it's set up pretty good yeah. i knew who the stakes i knew what the stakes were i knew what kind of outcome they wanted it is shot so chaotically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that I got almost, I would say, like, turned around. I wasn't always sure who was, our people were yeah. and, like, who the others were. Yeah. There is there is that very <laughs> brief moment. I, I Again, I think this is Blakeney. God damn this kid. <laughs> I think it's him. Who, before the battle, gets everyone to tie... The black... The, uh, the black cloth cloth or yeah. around their arms to sort of be able to tell each other yeah. from the enemy and like within 10 seconds of the battle starting i was like i'm not looking for cloths like <laughs> i'm fucking swinging my sword i'm shooting my gun in any direction just to sort of be like 
Whoever's out there is getting hit. As long as I don't get hit, I'm good. I could quite literally be the last person standing and I'd be happy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was Blakely. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. But no, I, I, I hear your point on the sort of chaoticness of, of the fights, of the final battle scene, which like I think is probably true to a battle yes. taking place in the middle of the ocean between two ships. Yeah. As a movie, it does make it hard to understand where we are, what is going on, and where all of our characters are yeah. at certain times. And I think sometimes because it goes back to me not knowing more, I wasn't always super clear on the layout of the ship. Like right. sometimes they would go down somewhere and I would be like, oh, they should be here and they weren't there. Yeah. <laughs> and stuff. And so, but that being said, Russell Car- Crowe's character, because he knows ships, knew exactly where... Yeah people were yeah and stuff and like where to look for various people so i think the the ultimate goal or whatever like i said i've seen this movie a couple times so i what i picked up on is that before the battle starts they come across the small dinghy with like the five or six guys whalers and those whalers tell them that the french boat sank their boat and took they got away but there's about 30 guys on their ship they think been taken captive which would obviously be at the bottom of the french boat yeah so i think the general idea besides just kill as many of the french guys <laughs> as possible is to get down to the bottom of the ship to release the whalers and give them weapons so that they can then come up and we're now fighting sort of two two, two ways sides. Yeah. two ways we're making the french fight both everybody above them and everybody below them sort of at the same time i think that's the general idea i am sort of 100% behind you on the fact of like, <laughs> there are moments during this fight scene where I'm like, I I don't even know what I'm watching. Like, yeah. If, if, you know, if one of our characters is on screen, I can't see them. Yeah. So I think there's definitely a trade-off in terms of like, I, I quite like battle scenes that are like visually cohesive. So I'm fine with a little intensity. I'm fine with a little bit of chaos. I just want to be able to clearly differentiate sort of, who's who, where we're going, what's the Who are our people. Yeah, Yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I think there are fight scenes that do that really, really well. And then there are other fight scenes where it's just like, I'm going to make this really shaky and we're going to have a lot of people sort of flailing about on screen and it'll just look chaotic and sort of like, okay, that sort of turns me off a little bit. I think this movie has that a little bit, but it's because they want to convey the intensity of, of the fight scene and sort of like, okay, I get it. We're our close quarters here. It's probably hard to properly map out a good fight scene on a boat. Um, but there are moments in the fight scene where I'm sure just like, okay, like. Who I'll, am I supposed to be looking at I'll, here? I'll like, tune in again in 10 <laughs> seconds. Like when, when, when all this is over with, I'll tune in in 10 seconds. Yeah. I think the big, the biggest one where it's sort of like, wait, what happened? Is the young man who, the, like the young officer who does go down and freeze the whalers. The last time that we see him, He's giving them guns to go up to the top of the ship and fight. And then when the battle is done, we like cut to him and he's like dead on the floor. Yeah. And we're like, wait, but he was alive two seconds ago. Wasn't, he was the one who got shot, wasn't he, he? He gets shot, but I don't know if you see who shoots him. Oh, is another kid hiding underneath a bench or something. Okay, well, I yeah. <laughs> didn't see that. So there you go. But like, there are just moments of that where it's sort of like, what's going on? Yeah. What's happening? But I think, yeah, I think ultimately to, to get the intensity of, of the of the battle scene, I think it's it's pretty good. And like, we don't see a lot of naval battles in movies anymore. No. So, like I said, they're, they're expensive to do, but like, I was pretty fucking pumped when they were like, you know, gun after gun after gun was going off and like, they're trying to get the main mass down and things like that. I was like, fucking, let's get it, guys. <laughs> let's Let's do it. So, you know, it worked for me. We then come to the, the the final, final scene, I should say, where we get a little bit of a twist. Yeah, I enjoyed the little twist. I wasn't expecting it. So, like, they obviously did that to set up another movie. Yeah. So would you have happily, if I told you there was a sequel, would you have happily been like, I'm down to watch it? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Because for me, leaving on a cliffhanger, I then want to know. So I would have watched the next one. To see, right. did they catch up to the ship again? Did, was there, like, did the French captain somehow or another convince everybody to... 
Well, you got to think that... Kill the, our guy who's now in charge of the ship? Yeah, like, what happened? Like, you got to think that the French captain, who we should tell people who haven't seen the movie, like, <laughs> he disguises himself as the... Doctor, doctor on the French ship. On yeah. the French ship. And he puts uh, another body in his uniform so that when Jack comes across him, you know, he sort of says, you know, the, the doctor or the, the captain passed away, but he, you know, told me to give you his sword. And so Jack takes the sword and all this sort of stuff. And then we find out that our doctor, um, what is the doctor's name? Stephen yeah, Stephen, something. Stephen, yeah. Apparently he's Irish. He says he's Irish. Um, he then informs jack or, or he's lamenting the fact that the only doctor on the new on the ship on the french ship that they've taken as a prize is his assistant who we have routinely seen is useless yeah uh, and you know he's sort of like it's it's a shame that that's their only doctor but you know they'll get back to port soon and then they can pick up another doctor and be fine yeah and jack's like no i've met their doctor I, he's perfectly fine yeah and the, that's when we find out no their doctor died weeks ago yeah. And then you see on Russell Crowe's face the like, God damn it, this guy has like pulled Out, one over on me Yeah, again. outsmarted me a fourth time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, he just cannot handle it. And so then, yes, they, they the movie does end on like a quote unquote high speed pursuit <laughs> of these two ships in the middle that, of the Pacific that, Ocean. That and poor Paul Bettany's character does not get to go back to the... Does not get to go back. But like he says, he was there to see a flightless bird. And so, like, that bird's not going anywhere. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I just think it's it's quite clearly set up for a sequel. And I normally hate when movies are that sort of bold and brash to be like, we're making a second one. This is, the like, one of the few times where I'm like, man, I really wish we had a second, second one? and a third and a fourth. And, like, this could have been my franchise going forward. But, you know, if all we got was one and it's pretty wonderful. I don't think I asked at the start of the movie or the start of the podcast. When was the first time you watched this? It would have been pretty soon after, like, I, I was probably fifteen or sixteen. Oh, okay, it so really kind of probably, in and around when it came. Oh, out. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, because, okay. Well, like by this stage, by two thousand four, two thousand five, we would have been getting more invested in the Oscars. Yeah. Um, and I so like my sort of Oscars origin story does involve Gladiator. Because I, I do remember that that year that year of sort of Gladiator versus Crouching Tiger, and remembering at the time I'd only seen Gladiator, and so then being like, well, I really want that one to win. Yeah. Um. And so you know, a couple years down the road, it's another Russell Crowe movie. It's another sort of period piece history action movie. I I definitely wouldn't have seen this in theaters, but I do remember sort of grabbing it as soon as I could. Um, blockbuster. At Blockbuster and sort of being like, I can't wait to watch this because, you know, I, I think at this stage it would have been right up my alley and then just being like, this is fantastic. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about Master and Commander before you wrap it up? No, just that you need to recommend one soon. I think we need to go back to the movies Kieran doesn't necessarily enjoy. So, Well, that's not happening next <laughs> week because we have long teased... The foreign language movie. Oh, have you picked one? Yeah. Okay. I've, I've picked one. It's Bong Joon-ho. So the guy who made Parasite there a couple years oh, ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's going to be in Korean. You're okay. going to have to deal with that. It's going okay. to be in Korean. Uh, I'm just going to tell people because I think it's going to be a little hard for people to find. Or uh, guess. Or, or, or guess. Okay. So uh, we are going to be watching Memories of Murder. Okay. Um, next week or for next week's episode, I, episode, I should say. Which is Bong Joon Ho's 2003 sort of like absolute masterpiece crime thriller. It's a crime thriller. Interested? It's a crime thriller. I sort of have an idea for the next couple of weeks. We might break it up. I don't necessarily know if I want to do these two movies back to back, but I think we're going to talk about David Fincher's Zodiac as well pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. And so I kind of want to do these two movies. I want I want Memories of Murder to be fresh in your mind. When we do Zodiac. Oh, okay. So we're going to do Memories of Murder next week. Um, I own it, so you don't have to go looking oh, for it. Oh, thank God, because it's I, not I will, streaming anywhere. So Yes, I will give you a copy of it. <laughs> um, we might be playing a fast and loose with the DVD release date of Memories of Murder. Uh, because I'm not sure if the DVD came out during the 2000s. This uh, may have been a long waiting DVD release. Okay. Once I sort of really dig in and get looking. 
but the movie came out in 2003, so we're, we're, we're counting it. Okay. We're, we're doing it. So that'll be... Just gets a little asterisks. That'll be the first foreign language movie, and then we'll see... Um, we'll see if there's if there's any more. There's, there probably should be some more going forward. But yeah, I think uh been quite a few dude movies lately as well. Yeah. We might have to break it up before we get to Zodiac. Yes. Because Zodiac is a very dude movie. So Memories of Murder next week. Sounds good. We'll see everybody then. See you then.